Okay, uh, turn with me in your Bible to Exodus 33, and you can just hold your spot there. I'll get to that in just a moment. We are uh, well into a series on encountering the beauty of the Lord, and um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, for the next several weeks, I don't know how many, but we're going to talk about biblical theophanies. Now, don't get alarmed by the word theophany. I remember the first time I heard somebody say something, something theophany, I immediately went, oh my gosh, that's got to be the most deep, hardest to understand thing. I don't even know that word. How, how many would be honest and say, I'm not sure what the word theophany means? Just raise your hand. There you go. Good. So don't get freaked. Amen. The theophany is... Uh, it's just a theophany, four-syllable word, sounds like, no, no, I mean, it's a four-syllable word, it sounds really studious, it just simply means the appearance of God, theophany. And it ta- what it means, what it talks about is the times when God appears to men, the times in the scripture where, where, where God appeared to men, and uh there's a couple versions of this word. Uh, there's theophany, there's hierophany, there's Christophany. I bet you know what a Christophany is now that I've explained theophany. When Jesus, post-resurrection, has appeared to people. Hierophany is, would be uh, not particularly used in, um, in uh, Christianity as much, but it would be an, an ambiguous appearance of God where you didn't quite know what that was. Maybe it was God, maybe it was not. Who knows if it was animal, mineral, vegetable, something. Hierophany. So what we're going to focus on is theophany and walk through the different times God appears in a clear way to, to people throughout the Scripture. An appearance of God, it's an appearance of God or a temporary visible manifestation of the presence and the glory of God. That's the dictionary terms, dictionary definition. It could include when God appears in nature or in human form or in a prophetic visionary experience. And, and as you walk through the scripture, you find that he has appeared in all those ways. It's, it's pretty astounding how the Lord does. And I am touched over the fact that... <laughs> Essentially, all the key bases, bases of theology in the Scripture are built on theophanies. Now, that's a pretty big statement, but you'll, when you go and read through, essentially, all the main guys that wrote uh, biblical theology, the Bible, they, I mean, just the main ones, by and large, experienced a theophany. God appeared to them. That's pretty intense. And uh, I remember for years um, hearing, you know, you shouldn't ask for God to appear to you. You shouldn't ask for, you know, encounters, heavenly encounters. Um, you know, you never know what you might get. You know, you, if you ask for God to appear and, you know, the devil might appear. You just never know. And... um. 
And so I remember for years thinking, you know, anybody that was talking about God appearing or, or you know, wanting to see, you know, heavenly stuff or angels or whatever, they, they must have been a little bit off because, you know, they were messing around with stuff that we weren't supposed to mess with. But then, I, you know, as I began to study it, man, so many in the Bible had an angel appear or had God appear or Jesus appear. And for that to be the biblical template... And then you have people like Moses, who's got the glory cloud showing up on his tent so intensely that 2.2 million people would come out and worship the Lord when Moses was having his quiet time. And then after that reality is going on for Moses, he says, now show me you, God. You know, he's going for broke. He's going for more, asking God to show him his glory. And I just see the biblical uh, testimony being quite different then sort of this superstitious, don't ask to see God because you might get a demon. That's just junk. The, the Lord, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a serpent. The Lord's a good leader. He's a good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice, and the voice of another they will not follow. If you're asking for an encounter with God and the devil appeared, well, you'd know it was the devil. You'd, you know what I mean? You're after God, and the devil appears, you'd be rebuking. You probably wouldn't be like, oh, this feels so good. You could sense it. His sheep hear his voice. God's sheep hear his voice, the voice of another they will not follow. And there's this automatic longing, this inbred longing in our soul to encounter God, to encounter our maker. It's within the fabric of our being. I mean, it's really inside of you. You want to see him. How do I know that you want to see him? You go, well, no, I really don't. No, you really do, and here's why. Every human's destiny is to see God. Every one of us will see him, one way or another. For some, it will be the most amazing moment of our existence when we actually see him face to face, and for some, it will be the most horrific possible moment as they peer on the one that they've rejected. But every human is going to see God. Every person. So it's within your DNA to desire it because he wants everyone to see him. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I desire that they would be with me where I am and behold my glory. He wants to be seen by his people. And so he weaves it into our fabric, into our makeup to desire to see him, to desire to encounter him, to desire to know him and to be known. I was thinking about, it's, uh, it's, I believe, 1 John 3. It says, beloved, we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. And then John just kind of, he just kind of goes off into this zone where he goes, and, uh, and, and he basically says it like, I'll just paraphrase, I'll give the Billy version. He basically goes, I don't know exactly what that means when we see him, we'll be like him, but it's not been yet revealed to us what exactly we're going to be changed. We're just going to see him and be like him. Now think about that one for a minute. When we see him, we're going to be like him. He goes, it's not yet been revealed what we're going to be. All I know is when we see him, we're going to be like him. He thought about the potency. I mean, how powerful the potency of seeing God. It transforms a frail human frame into something that's like God. I'm not saying we become gods. Don't go there. 
But what I'm saying is the glory of God, the majesty of who God is, the being of God, when, when he is perceived by his creation, he is so powerful, and you could say this, he's contagiously powerful to the extent that when we perceive him, we are transformed. We become what we behold. When we see him, we become like him. We're even now being changed in the same image, Paul says, from glory to glory. We're being changed in the same image even now from glory to glory. So don't give me this that you don't want to see him or that that's out beyond the bounds of, of you know, biblical soundness. No, that's actually the, that's the pinnacle. That's where we're all heading. Think about it now. Whether you like it or not, you're on your way to a face-to-face with the uncreated God. Yeah, I mean, there should be a, like a Mufasa on that one. You know, the Mufasa effect? Mufasa, woo. I mean, it should be, you should have that. Okay, a little, that was a little Lion King reference. Just, sorry. I'm not trying to get off track. It just, I thought it was universal. Okay, it's like Googling something, Mufasa. Okay, you got it. Okay. You know, Google, okay. Now I have to describe that. Okay, y'all know what a Google is, right? It's a search. Okay, y'all are with me. It's the Mufasa effect when you see God. That's my point. You get that tremble. And there should be that feeling in us where we go, you know, oh my, like, I'm, I'm actually going to, to peer into him. And, and there should be that excitement. And there should be that, that wonder, that marvel. And, and, but here's what I, and that is enough to keep you in a, a mode of, you know, uh, meditation, uh, considering these things for a while. But I want to zero in on the guys that, uh, that saw him before they died. That is so intense to me. To see God before you step over. I mean, think about it. In the shell, in the flesh, on this side of time, and they encounter him. It's eye-opening when you begin to study, and I haven't even gone really very deep in it, but there are multiple, multiple theophanies in the scripture. I mean, one after another, after another, after another. It's amazing. You know, if you look, it's funny. If you look at the Wikipedia article, unless one of you guys changes it tonight, but the Wikipedia article will say there's not very many theophanies in the Bible, and it's just completely wrong. It's completely wrong. There's theophany after theophany after theophany, book after book after book, God appearing to man over and over and over and over. I mean, the Lord appears to the entire nation of Israel in a thunder and lightning cloud of fire and then speaks thunderously all Ten Commandments and a a major portion beyond that of the law for all the people to hear. Like, the, the, you get it? The entire crux of the Old Testament is based on a theophany. God appearing to the entire nation. So let's just walk through a little list of these, and then I just want to zero in on a couple points tonight, and then we'll just, we'll just work through these. We'll work through these over the next few weeks. We'll deal with, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel, Moses, of course. We'll talk about Moses tonight. Uh, we'll deal with John. John has the most, I mean, extensive Christophany that you can imagine, and... Um, and so I don't want you to get, you know, in the zone of, well, theophany, that sounds like a big word. No, let's stay 
connected to this idea that God appears to people all the time through the scripture, and it's actually something that's okay if it's a desire of your heart because you're made to see him. And then let's take a look at all the biblical examples of the ones that encounter him on this side and then allow that to pique our hunger. So just a list of key theophanies. This is not exhaustive. This is me off the top of my head as I'm skimming through my Bible. Adam, obviously, he's got God in the garden having conversations, walking in the cool of the day with him as a friend. I don't know if you thought about that, but God is walking around with Adam day in and day out. Beloved, that is our destiny. That is where this thing is all headed to. The next age, Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and the age after that, the Father will come. Revelation 21 tells us, come and make his abode among men. It's going back to the garden. This thing is going back to the garden. Get the long-range vision on what this relationship with Jesus is all about. This is not simply just a you know, system of belief for here in this age. This thing has ages and ages to come with with reality to it. I mean, real uh, uh, encounter. The Father is coming. He will make his abode with men just like he did to begin creation, walking with Adam in the garden. This is where we're headed. Just as the son wants a bride, the father wants a family. Adam is the template. Adam walks with God in the cool of the day. Well, Abraham, you know, I was surprised. You don't tend to think about Abraham. Abraham has three of them at least. God appears to Abraham at least three times. The first one is this smoking pot and this burning torch. He, he shows up as a fire pot and a burning torch. And, and he, the Lord actually passes through this, this covenantal uh, sacrifice to cut covenant with Abraham. Well, he appears to him in, in, in Genesis 15 and then in 17 and then in 18. He appears to him multiple times. Abraham, the father of faith, when he changes his name, it was because God appeared to him. and says, I'm going to call you Abraham. He appeared to him. So when we get that Abraham was a, uh, uh, like a stranger and he was setting his, uh, his heart on the city whose builder and maker was God, he was looking for that city. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 11. It's obvious to me, I mean it's, it's implied, but it seems like so obvious that the Lord in one of those three theophanies showed him the heavenly city. I'm doing something with you here, Abraham, but this is actually where you're heading. And so you can make it through this nomadic journey on the earth. You can walk through these deserts and all these challenges because there is a city that I have made that's far beyond your wildest dreams, pleasure and glory. It's far beyond anything you've ever even touched, Abraham. You will be a people. You will have descendants as far as the, the, you know, the sky, all those stars up there, you'll have descendants like the sand of the sea. But that's not the final inheritance for you, Abraham. The final inheritance is this city. You will dwell with me, Abraham. I mean, three times Abraham sees God, it says. He appeared to him. That's the, verse, uh, the word it uses. He appeared to him. Isaac. God appears to Isaac. And he tells him, he goes, just like I appeared to your father, I'm appearing to you. Let's keep it in the family. Jacob, at Jacob's ladder, I didn't quite have it. I had angels, in my mind, I had angels, I had a ladder, angels, and then it said, and God was standing at the top of the ladder. 
Just go and read it in Genesis 28 later. God is actually standing on the top of the ladder. That's awesome. I mean, that's just awesome. He's looking up. It's not just a ladder of light and angels. There's God. Solomon gets two appearances of God. Did you know that? He gets him twice in dreams, two times. And then when Solomon turns away, it actually said, the Lord actually says he was angry with Solomon because God appeared to him twice. <laughs> That's intense. Not just once, but twice. And then Solomon still goes after false gods. I mean, all the guesswork was out of the way. When God appears to you, it doesn't take faith because you're seeing him. All the guesswork's out of the way, and Solomon still goes the other direction. And I look at that, and I go, well, how is that possible, Lord? How do you have in Scripture, like the Israelites, they see you, but they turn from you. How is that possible? And we see it in, in, in Exodus 33. Here's what happened. Moses asks the Lord, he says, show me your ways. And then Psalm 103, if you want to just study it later, Psalm 103 says that Moses knew the ways of the Lord, but the children of Israel only knew his acts. They saw him from afar, but Moses, Moses knew his heart. He knew his ways. There's something more than just the, the heavenly vision. It's actually allowing the heavenly vision to compel you and to encounter and find out who he is, the knowledge of him, his ways. So Solomon... You know, I, uh, I'm skipping David because, honestly, right before I came up here, I was just kind of flipping through. And I've always had David in the maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I kind of like, I think he did. You know, uh, you know, one thing I asked, gaze on the beauty. You got that one. You got Psalm 145. Meditate on his, you know, majesty, his glorious majesty. And so you kind of have this thing where David, and then you've got, I think it's Psalm 92. He goes, I've seen the end, the consummation of all perfection. You go, okay, maybe he's talking about seeing the throne. But literally right before I came up here, I'm flipping around looking at David. And it actually says, and I'll just go ahead and add David now to the list in a very clear way. Second Chronicles 3, verse 1. I didn't, I didn't have this, I just kind of missed this, but maybe you had it, but I didn't. It says, now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So the temple, this is interesting, the temple is built on Mount Moriah. It's where Abraham offered Isaac. Look at this though, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. The temple was built where God had appeared to David. And we don't have any real detail of it. We just got a few verses where David kind of insinuates that he'd seen God. I mean, you know, Psalm 27 is about his, you know, he goes, all I want to do is look at him some more. <laughs> I mean, that kind of settles it, but it's not explicit. But this one is. David saw him, he builds the temple on the place where he saw him. He had the encounter with the Lord. Well, that makes tons of sense. So the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is where David encountered the Lord, and that's where the Lord told him to build the temple. I thought that was pretty powerful. So add David to the list. You have Samuel. Well, you have Moses, of course, and we'll talk about him. Moses has like, I mean, Moses' whole life is like a theophany. I mean, like the whole, like his whole life, nearly. He gets the burning bush. 
every time he goes and prays, the glory cloud shows up. He goes face to face with God on two 40-day fasts where he doesn't eat or drink two different times, comes back face shining like a spotlight. Now we've talked about this, but Paul says that's no glory compared to what we have available. It just messes me up. <laughs> I don't know how, what it does to you, but it provokes me because I haven't had anything anywhere near. And you know, theologians try to talk their way out of it. Well, he's talking about the fact that the indwelling spirit and that you're born again, and so Moses had no glory according to be born again. If that's the case, then why is Paul dealing with the very fact that his face was shining? Why is he dealing with the external thing that was so powerful that the entire nation couldn't even look at him? So Moses, Samuel, it says the Lord appeared to Samuel at Shiloh. Well, I, I would think so. I mean, Samuel is like, I mean, Samuel is the, the, the prophet with the 100% accuracy. Think about that one for a minute. It says, not one of his words ever fell to the ground of Samuel. Well, Job, that's maybe my favorite one. Job spends 32 chapters talking about how he needs to justify himself before God, and if God would just appear to him, (laughs) he would tell him a thing or two. I mean, what a bummer. Think about how it, it lands. I mean, he goes, if God would just appear, I'll just tell him why I'm righteous and why I shouldn't be going through all this. And in chapter 37, God appears in a fiery whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without wisdom? <laughs> that's what God says. Who is this that's darkening counsel with words without wisdom? Talking about Job. If you ever want God to speak to you audibly, that is not the sentence you want him to say. It's just not the sentence. I just, I mean, we just, my, my sons and I, we just go through that one and just sit there in our, in our living room and just tremble over this. Who is this? I just imagine. Who is this? I mean, just rah, out of a whirlwind of fire. Job just like, I mean, and he gets like four chapters of that. I mean, by the end of it, he goes, I just put my face to the dirt. That's his answer. My answer is I put my face to the dirt now. (laughs) I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. I put my face to the dust. Job, that's one of my favorite ones because it's so ferocious. And even in that, the Lord still, you know, he's still tender to Job. He ends up blessing him double. (laughs) He's not just there to sort of yell at Job, but he shows up because Job, really? Like, really? You're going to justify yourself? Don't try it, Job. We have Isaiah. Of course, John is going to tell us that Isaiah is a Christophany, that he's actually seeing Jesus as the captain of the Lord of hosts. I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple. Jeremiah, the hand of the Lord comes out and, and touches Jeremiah. He actually physically sees the hand of the Lord come and touch him. And then he says, I've made you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah gets excited until he finds out what the message that he has to prophesy is. 
where you have Ezekiel, he gets Ezekiel 1, the whole chapter, the fiery whirlwind with the Son of Man. He gets the, the living creatures, he, you know, the, the wheels within the wheels, the Spirit of the Lord, the eyes all over the wheels. I mean, just, you know, amber and glory and light. I mean, he just gets the most, I mean, just one of the most, uh, the detail on it is just so intense. Of course, Daniel, he actually sees the throne of the Ancient of Days. And then you have Peter, James, and John. It, I mean, you have Jesus with them, and the Father comes down on Jesus. They're actually seeing, they're having a theophany. Powerful. All of these, I mean, these are key ones. Key ones. And we get so much of the backbone of the scripture through these men who've had these theophanies. I mean, you just go look through the list. I mean, you have Abraham, you have Moses, you have David, three, the three major prophets, Daniel, Peter, James, and John, the three top of, I mean, come on. And then you get these Christophanies, and someday I'll walk through the Christophanies because they are cool as can be. But 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to read it later, I mean, you get these, this breakdown. You got, you know, Jesus appears to all the disciples. Then he doubles back because Thomas wasn't there. He appeals, appears to Thomas with the other disciples. And then you have this in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, and he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. He appeared to Peter, but we don't have a record of that appearance with Peter. This is interesting. We don't actually have what happened in that appearance with Peter, just that he appeared to Peter. Apparently, he appears to Peter privately. It's not the time on the beach. You know, the feed my, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. There's actually, a, a, apparently, another time where he appears privately to Peter, undoubtedly because of Peter's denial. He's trying to get Peter back. Just think about that, man. Jesus appears to him. To just to get him back. Appears on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They reference that he had appeared to Peter. And then he says, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to 500 believers at once. 500 at once. I mean, that's about three times what we have here tonight. 500. Jesus. And sometime I walked through it, but you have these multiple times uh, before the resurrection, uh, before the crucifixion, and after the crucifixion and resurrection, where they're all told to go to they're all told to go to Galilee. Now they're back in Jerusalem by Pentecost, so there's this something where they had to all go to Galilee. Galilee is like a hundred miles from Jerusalem. Probably Capernaum is where they're at, they have to go to. And the scholars don't really know what this 500 at one time is, but likely it was in Capernaum. I mean, you just, I'll go through it sometime. I'll walk through the verses on it. But just imagine being in the group of 500 that see Jesus, post-resurrection Jesus. I mean, 500 at once, boom, Jesus in the midst. What's he saying? What's he doing? That's a strong way to plant a church. And then we're going to follow it up in just a month with Pentecost. This is the Christian church. This is Christianity. Our heritage 
is so powerful. Full of encounters with the Lord. Full of manifestations. Of course, you get Paul on the road to Damascus. He described himself as one out of due time. He gets the Lord, appears to him. And then you get John on the Patmos, which is probably the most powerful. I, I mean, just it's so detailed. And Jesus is walking, through, walking John through the way he's going to wrap up this age. So here's the points I want to make. And then I want to pray for people. Because, I, again, I feel like I'm just reading the menu on a few thoughts. But... Uh, one of the key things that's interesting to me, there's, there's two points about most of these theophanies. The first is this. When the Lord appears to somebody, I mean, virtually every time, you know, he throws Solomon out, but virtually the rest of the times, when the Lord appears to somebody, they are completely ruined for the rest of their life. They're just all his. When he appears, after that, they are basically, it's like he puts the hook in them. And, and uh, <clears throat> what you find is it's the, it's the hook of intimacy. They just want more of God. He doesn't tend to have problems with the ones that he appears to. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't tend, I mean, Solomon is like this anomaly. But you go down that list and you find, like, Jeremiah. I mean, he ends up, Jeremiah ends up having to prophesy essentially the end of of the southern kingdom, the, the, you know, the judgment on Jerusalem, he's in pain over it. They won't listen. Jeremiah, I mean, he's just full of the emotions of God. He's just quaking and wrecked over it. He wants God, but he's just so in pain over what he's having to say. Finally, he says, okay, I'm not, and they're, and they're beating him for it. And they're putting him in the stocks. They're treating, mistreating him. And finally, he goes, okay, I'm not saying anything else. And this well of fire on the inside of him begins to be a pain in his soul. You know, it's funny, you get the, occasionally you get the spirit-filled preacher, he goes, his words like a fire shut up in my bones. It means he's going to preach real good. Jeremiah wasn't saying that in a good way. He was saying, I tried to not declare what the Lord was asking me to say, but when I shut my mouth, it was fire on the inside of me, and I couldn't hold it back. I was in pain. From the inside of my bones, I was in pain. I don't know what that feels like, but I know that Jeremiah's commission was intense. But Jeremiah, I mean, even there, I mean, he's just ruined. Moses, ruined. Ezekiel, ruined. I mean, look at what Isaiah and Ezekiel end up walking out the way they actually end, I mean, what they walk out in their lives, the things that they have to prophesy. I mean, Ezekiel spends all those days on his side making cakes, you know, over, you know, dung. I mean, just the way they, they're just, they're just totally given to the Lord. They're just handed over because of the encounter. See, beloved, we're going to see him and we'll be like him, but I promise you, if he appears to you, it will wreck you. It will wreck you. The biblical example is that when he appears, you're done. By and large, Solomon's our one, can't quite get it. And, and I believe that Solomon actually came back to the Lord afterwards. And so you have this thing where the Lord appears 
and he puts this hook of desire on the inside of the person, and they're never the same again. They live a life of, 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 of pursuit, a life of obedience, a life of, of going after God. They are just, they're just never the same again. And I see that, and I just go, man. It's not that they're perfect, but they're going after Jesus. They're not going to turn. Well, and the second thing that really struck me is this. Most of the theophanies have a commission to it, a proclamation commission. It's really pretty fascinating. Mo- I mean, if you just walk through them, most of them, the Lord appears, hooks their heart, they're overwhelmed with desire, they're, they're ruined with longing, and then the Lord goes, and I have a partnership with you that I want you to walk out. I want you to say a few things. You just walk through them in your mind. You know, you just, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. It's more implied with Daniel, but Daniel gets, I mean, these brilliant prophecies at the end of the age. And you just walk through the theophanies, and the theophanies are unto a depth of intimacy, the the giving over of the person to God, I mean, just full-on given over, and thirdly, a proclamation commission. And I looked at that, and I went, man, that's interesting, and here's why that's interesting. Because usually, if you get the guys that talk about Jesus appearing, they're kind of little, you know, they're not necessarily talking about preaching, you know, to the lost, they're just kind of like, woo, 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 Jesus appearing, angels and things. Well, do, 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 you know. So you usually you get the theophany guys, and they're just theophany guys, just, you know, heavenly stuff. And they're, you know, and, I, and I'm that kind. I'm, I'm not making fun. I, I'm just, my mind is set on heaven. I just want it. Uh, but, you know, they tend to not be the gospel proclamation guys. Well, then, on the other end, you got the gospel proclamation guys, and they don't tend to ever talk about, like, heavenly encounters. Everybody's going to hell. You just need to tell them that they're, you know, they need to get saved. I mean, this is how we have to do, you know. And you got these kind of these, this, this distance between the two groups. But in the Bible, what you have are these messengers who get equipped with encounter. I just was like, wow. In fact, the key messengers in the scripture get equipped with encounter. And I'm not even talking about people like Elijah and Elisha and just, you know, I mean, I mentioned Samuel, but you, you go through the prophets and those guys are having massive, massive encounters. Now, they're all prophets because they wrote scripture, but I mean, at the end of the day, when you think of David, yes, he's a prophet, but he's a, he's a king, you know. He's a psalmist, warrior king wrecked and, and he's wrecked for intimacy and he's calling the people of God to repentance and he's calling them to, to the lavish abandonment of God. He's, he's actually giving us a template for what it looks like to love him well. And he's one of the key theologians in, in the scripture uh, 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 Christ. So there's, those, there's these points to it. He hooks us with intimacy and then invites us into partnership and proclamation. And uh, I just want to walk through this Exodus 33, and then I just want to pray. So Exodus 33, I'm just revisiting it. I just kind of was thinking about it last week. I shared this with our Luke 18 group that was here, and just touching it again, and just, I don't know, beloved. I want my quiet times to be better than Moses's. And I I hope this pricks you. 
Paul says what we have is surpassing in glory. So I hope this, I hope this challenges you. But Exodus 33, verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is not the tabernacle in the wilderness. This is Moses' personal tent. Okay? He's got the design for the tabernacle. He's getting it from the Lord, but this is not that where they did the sacrifices. This is his own tent. Now, just to contextualize it, chapter 32 the Israelites are doing the golden calf. Okay, that's chapter 32. The first six verses, the Lord has just told them, I'm not going with you. You couldn't take it. I would kill you. My glory would break out against you. You would die because of your sin and your hardness of heart. And so the people are mourning. And then the Lord says, well, tell them to cast off all their jewels, all their gold, Put it together and I will see what I will do with them. And they're, they're mourning and broken because they, are, they, they realize that they have turned on the Lord. This quickly, they turn on the Lord. This is just, you know, within a, like 40 days of, of the Lord coming down on Sinai. So now we get this little interlude and explains what's going on in, in the encounter that Moses is having with the Lord. And so it, look at this. We're still in verse 7. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So when they had to ask the Lord for an answer for something, they would just go to Moses' tabernacle and say, what's the Lord saying? This is incredible to me. This is the way the Lord was governing them in the wilderness. Verse 8. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. (laughs) I don't know what your quiet times are like lately. When I read that, I just... (laughs) Something is touched inside of me. Moses goes in to pray, and glory shows up, shuts the door. And the Lord talks to Moses. Verse 10. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent. You're talking about an entire nation. I'm used, I use the conservative number, 2.2 million men and women. It's, you know, some, some have it as many as 5 to 10 million. As soon as Moses goes to pray, glory falls and they come out of their tent and they begin to worship too. <laughs> this moves me. I just I uh This is in the Bible. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face and there we're getting face to face as a figure of speech. We're getting it in terms of proximity. 
The Lord hasn't borne his face to Moses. It's the proximity he's encountering. He's, he's, he's encountering God like a man would encounter another man in a face-to-face sort of way is the idea, in that, in that style of proximity. But it's not that the Lord has borne his face to Moses. So the Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. And, and he would return to the camp, and then Joshua, and Joshua just messes you up, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, he did not depart from the tavern. He just stayed in there. He's like the first intercessory missionary. He's like crawled up in the corner. He just go, Lord. This is, this is how he was governing. This, this newly delivered nation. I mean, he's brought them out of what he told Abraham they would go through. You know, 400 years of captivity and slavery. He's brought them out, and the way he's governing them is with glory. And again, I don't have to remind you because we've touched it so many times. Paul says it was nothing compared to what we've got. Do you think sometimes we're a little petty? You think sometimes we get a little distracted by petty stuff that doesn't matter? That maybe we get off track a little bit? I mean, I'm, t- I'm putting me in there too. Like, this is our God. And I just think about how many things attack to try to distract and take our affections and our focuses. And this is how our God leads. I don't want, I don't want to be distracted with the here and now and the natural things that are just so you know, always vying for our attention. I want to be so alive with the truth of who our God is. This is our God. (laughs) So Joshua doesn't depart. Now look at Moses' dialogue, because this this gives me uh, courage. Then Moses said to the Lord. You kind of get the picture that this is what's going on with Moses for a, a little season of time. And then he comes to the day where he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna call the Lord to account, so to speak. He's going to ask the Lord to change. Because the Lord's just said, I'm not going with you. I'll send my angel, but I won't come. So then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found, and, and I prefer the, the translation favor, you've also found favor in my sight, grace or favor in the other translations. Verse 13, now therefore I pray, if I have found favor or grace in your sight, show me your way. See, there he is. He goes, if this is real between you and me, God, I mean, get it now, let's contextualize. We are post-Egypt. We are post-splitting the Red Sea. We are post-Sinai with lightning thundering coming down. We are post-40 days on the mountain. We are post-Exodus 24 where they eat with God. Forgot that one in my list of theophanies. The 70 elders have dinner with God on the Sea of Glass. Just brings it on down for them. This is our Bible, guys. We're post all that, 
We're post the 40 days up there with the Lord. He comes down. We're right on the tail end of the, of the golden calf. And now Moses' quiet time is provoking five, let's call it five million people to worship daily because God's glory appears when he goes to pray. And Moses says, I need to know your ways. Guys, I don't know what our scale is for our what we think we've got in God versus what's available. But here's Moses after all of that saying, I don't know what you're like on the inside. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. I want to know the way you think, the way you feel, what you're like, why you do what you do. Show me your ways. He goes, you say I found favor with you, so show me your ways. I think it's okay. You know, you could say, Lord, you say I have access to the throne. Show me your ways. That I may know you. Show me now your way that I may know you. And that I may find grace or favor in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Because we're the ones you chose. You've been walking with us a while. We've gone through a lot. Come on, consider. This is the intercessor. I just Moses the intercessor is astounding to me. Unless you imagine that Moses is too big for his britches, he's gotten into haughtiness. Number six tells us he's the most humble man that ever walked on the earth up till Jesus. Most humble man that ever walked. There's this deal with recognition of what you don't have and, and, and then also this desire for hunger and humility that all go together. He realizes he doesn't have everything that's available and he's pursuing God for it. And, and, the, and somehow that package has something to do with humility. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's what we would call being poor in spirit. Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find favor in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So the Lord now, there's the Lord shifting. He goes, I'll go with you. I'm going with you. Verse 15. And Moses comes back with, look at Moses. Moses, his boldness. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go if you don't go. Guys, there, there needs to be that in the church right now. Where the church would say, I'm not doing another thing unless God is doing that thing. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm serious on this point. We have got to quit doing stuff without God. The church has got to get to this place where she, where she just goes, I will not do one more thing unless his presence goes, unless his glory goes before. I mean, just fruitless efforts, all this activity, all this stuff that we do. And oh, where is the hallmark of heaven on it? And I'm looking, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm looking right here going, God, I don't want to do one more thing that you're not into. 
Then he said, if your presence does not go, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go if you're not going. For, and then he says this, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from the people who are upon the face of the earth. What he's saying is this, how will anyone know that we're differentiated from all the nations of the earth if we don't have your glory on us? This is how I feel right now. I go, Lord, how will your church be differentiated if the glory of the Lord isn't back on the church? We've got to have your glory. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, and so, so now he says, I'm going with you. I'm going to put my glory on you. And then Moses goes, I'm, I'm on a roll. And he said, please show me your glory. See, there's what Moses is really after. Moses wasn't after the authority to the lead the nation. He wasn't after the power to take over surrounding nations. Moses was after a greater depth of encounter. See, that's where he got, he got hooked at the burning bush. He gets hooked at the burning bush, and from there, it's more, more. I have to have more. Show me your glory. I need more of you. I need your ways. I need to know you. Moses, don't you have the glory cloud showing up on your tent? I just, you know, this is a personal thing with me, but I'm, I've been saying this for a decade. I, you know, I don't want to get a little spark of God on my life and then have a bunch of people celebrate that there's a little bit of a spark there. There's so much more than a spark available to us. And I look at Moses' encounter. He has fire and glory and power to split the Red Sea. And he says, it's not enough. I need you. I need you. I need to know you. I need to know your ways. I want your glory. Show me your glory. And we've walked through this before, but the glory and the face, there's not a differentiation. Moses is asking for the the real face-to-face. He goes, I want the unveiling. I want you to bear all that you are to me. That's what he's saying. Bear all that you are to me. (laughs) Bear all that you are to me, God. There's a point where you kind of go, well, dang, Moses, you're really pushing it. But God doesn't think so. God doesn't think so. When he finds one that will pursue him, God doesn't mind when that one continues to pursue and ask and give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And I tell you, that theophany hooked him. He was messed up from the theophany forward. And that's what theophanies do. They hook the people of God. When God appears, it messes you up. When you see him, you become like him in some way. Some kind of passion, desire on the inside of you. This is just, you know, this is just, this side is just a shadow. There's a real seeing him that will really become like him. But on this side, when you see him, when you see the biblical examples, those guys aren't the same anymore. So, 
please show me your glory. Verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I am gracious. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. I mean, he takes, he, I just, I just, this just ministers to me. He responds affirmatively to Moses' cry for more. He goes, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will declare my nature, my name to you. I'll declare who I am to you, Moses. But you can't see my face. Because if I bore all that I am, you would not live. And Moses, I mean, gets taken into an encounter with God that is at the brink of what humans are able to handle. He gets up right up to the, the brink. See, the theophany hooks the heart and compels the person more and more and more. I just want you, I just want you, I just want you. And from there, there's this partnership that takes place. Moses the proclaimer. And that, that encounter that ends in 34, in chapter 34, it ends with the Lord telling Moses, I'm going to do more marvels among you and your people than has ever been seen in the earth before. This is post everything that you, that you normally hear about. Here's where I want to take this. I want to land with this. I feel strongly that the Acts 2 promise of signs in the heavens, wonders in the earth, and the pouring out of the spirit of prophecy has much to do with hooking the heart of would-be messengers and sending them as proclaimers at, at the end of the age, in the day of the Lord. I believe many will have face-to-faces with God. It will wreck them for doing life as normal, and it will go with a commission. That's what John ends up with in the book of Revelation. We'll walk through John's theophany at another time, but he ends up with, in John 10, you must prophesy. 90-year-old John gets commissioned afresh after that Christophany. You must prophesy. And there's this thing that happens with Ezekiel, this thing that happens with Jeremiah, this thing that happens with Moses. I mean, it happens throughout the scripture with Isaiah. Remember, remember with Isaiah, who will go for us? And what does Mo, I mean, what does Isaiah say after the encounter? Here am I, send me. And if you look at the prophetic message that he gives him, it's tough. He goes, I want you to prophesy until the cities are laid waste. And there is this interplay, there is this connection with the encounter of God, with God unveiling himself, and the commissioning of messengers. I believe the Lord wants to release much of that in the days ahead. And so I think we see Moses, the messenger, hooked with intimacy unto being a proclaimer. And I believe that we see that in the pattern of the theophanies. And we'll walk through the other ones, we'll walk through them piece by piece. But I believe it's a template that the Lord wants to release at the end of the age, that many will have encounters with the Lord unto being, I mean, just just completely ruined in desire, and then 
commissioned in partnership as proclaimers. Amen. Let's stand. I recognize that's pretty intense. But I want to just invite you, if that sounds, if that, if the sound of what I just said, if it's resonating with your own heart, like you think maybe that's me, I just want to invite you forward. Some of you I think are even feeling heat on your heart even right now, like your heart's burning on this. I just want to ask the Lord. Once again, for us, to show us His glory. Messengers longing for His face, marked with intimacy, burning in heart, and commissioned And I want to say this, I'm just going to prophesy this, and you'll know if this is you, I suppose. The Lord will witness it to you. But I'm convinced, I felt like the Lord was speaking this to me during worship tonight, that there's people that are hearing this even now. And I don't know, I mean, in the room, hearing it on the internet, whatever. But there's people that are hearing this even now. That where, you're, where the Lord is going to take you requires a face-to-face. In other words, where he's going to commission you to and, and, and the places he's going to lead you in the days ahead, ahead, it requires the transformation that happens from a face-to-face. I believe that's real. It's a people that long for his face that receive the favor of his hand. The face and the hand of God are not separate, but it's a seeking of His face that releases His favor. And these realities have got to become front and center for us. It's a generation that must have real encounter with God so we can manifest the real stuff of heaven. I'm, I'm right in there. I am answering this call right now. Just on a personal note, it's difficult for me to share these truths because I am right there with you. It's a dubious position to have to lead it while I'm also answering it. So Lord, here we are. Here we are. We are longing for your face. We're longing for the revealing. Oh, you did it for Moses and Daniel and David. He saw you. David saw you on the Temple Mount. Lord, you did it so many times in so many ways. I believe there's an entire generation that has to see to be changed, not to believe to be changed, to be transformed, to be gripped in heart.
the way you want to grip us. You're going to encounter the 144,000. It's right there. You're going to appear to them. Lord, what about that end time company, that Acts 2, that Joel 2 company that you pour out your spirit on? Undoubtedly, the spirit of prophecy is the unveiling of the person of Jesus, the testimony of Christ, even the manifestation of Jesus to our hearts. I don't... My words fail me, God. I just know we've got to encounter you. There's more to be had. We say with Moses, teach us your ways. And we don't want to go if your presence doesn't go. We don't want to go up from here. We want to put our hand to doing things that are just human ideas. If your glory isn't upon us, we don't want to move one inch. I pray that we would be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit and that truly your glory would be revealed in the church. To you, be glory in the church. Be glory in the church. To you who are able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, to you, be glory in the church. By Jesus to all generations. Be glory in the church. Glory in the church. I want to see your face. I want to see your face. I want to see you, Lord. Lord, it would shock us. So many of us. It would shock me to the core. It would shock me to the core to see you. But I want to be changed. I want to be encountered. And I know you have many ways to do such a thing, God. But would you grant that to many? Just like you did in the Scripture. Theophanies. God appearing. God appearing. It's nothing for you. It's nothing. You appear to 500 at once. So here we are, here we are, God, not even knowing what we're asking for. Just say, we need you. We need more. We need your ways, God. We need your ways. We need your ways. We need your presence. We need your presence on us, God. Show us your glory. Show us your face, your face. We want your face. We want your face. Oh, beautiful face, beautiful face.